Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 95 is recorded live December 22nd, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. This week we have some of the articles in the news are some more Scuba Santas, an underwater town, a secret underwater ballroom, invasious species in the lake, Great Lakes, and military divers to play with some tires. And I would like to take this time to welcome my co-host, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm doing pretty good now. <laughs> <laughs> it was more fun yesterday, though. Oh, it certainly was. Which we'll get into later in the show. We'll talk about what we got around to doing. So what we'll do is we got kind of a full news week, a little bit different. As I was talk, telling the chat room before the show, uh, many of these news articles are going to also be posted on our Scoop It site. So we'll have links in the show notes to where you can go and see that. And we update articles all week to throw them, curate them out there so you can follow along. Uh, the first one we have is New Zealand sharks are damaging underwater equipment. Uh, the reason this one got the top of the show is, is uh, that one down there in Tara's Reef. Uh, they've, the uh, operations to scan for submerged cargo containers in the East Cape have been suspended Sunday after sharks damaged the underwater equipment. The Department of Conservation shark expert says that the reports are not surprising and that has fingered the Mako shark as a likely suspect. He says it's not surprising. They are regularly caught on lures, so it's likely they just saw the sonar as a fish. They're capable of uh, feeding on fish much larger than themselves. Uh, he says he's seen footage of uh, attacking remote underwater vehicles, and they are known to be aggressive predator. So the container recovery team was back working on Monday and would also survey Wales Island. Another container went overboard Sunday, was recovered, and it was the 8th, 9th container to fall, 89th, they got space there, 8th, 89th container to fall in the sea, and uh, 25 had been retrieved. So uh, we don't have to worry about that with our uh, towfish, do we, Mac? I hope not. I'm just sort of curious how big their towfish are. And I'm also curious how deep they are uh, retrieving those containers. How big the containers were? Well, no, how deep the containers were. And those fish, um, you know, their, their fish has got to be expensive. Their sonar rig. Yeah. So I wonder how many they lost. Or, or is that one of those things that you do if you're uh, just to get a new one? <laughs> You will. You, you got like a little government-sponsored program. They're paying for all this, you know, unlimited checkbook. And, you know, that, that cable's getting a little nicked. And, you know, they got a new model for the same price. That's twice the resolution. Oops, a shark got it. <laughs> well, hey, that works for me. But I don't, unfortunately, I don't have anybody uh, subsidizing. And I don't have insurance on it. Yeah. So uh, not that we're saying that anybody would do that. No, but. <laughs> but did it, did it say how deep that was? No, they didn't. But. Uh, Tara had mentioned when it had crashed into the reef mm -hmm. that it was in the caves that they were diving. So that would put it in the, you know, 80 to 120 feet range, I would think. Okay. That to me would be manageable. I was just looking at the barge and crane and they must be doing that remotely then. I mean, uh, if you've got Mako's taking care of their uh, sonar fish, would you want to be down there as a little <laughs> diver? A little diver? I would want to be as unappetizing as possible. 
if, if I'm diving with sharks. Yeah. Well, in my book, you'd be very unappetizing. So. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate my that. part. The next article is, uh, and, and I don't know why I put this. It really isn't scuba diving other than this would be a place I would love to scuba dive to. A uh, secret underwater ballroom tells a century-old tale of woes. And uh, the article is an excellent article, and it talks about uh, uh, a rich person. And to think at the time uh, when this was, was it over 100 years ago, uh, to have a building that is underwater. You think nowadays it's technology being able to do stuff when actually we're just repeating what somebody else said earlier. It's just willpower. I mean, you got enough money, and uh, you know, as long as there's some engineering reason why it can't happen, then you can do a lot. But I, I think this would be this would have been cool. I mean, I can picture that when they were originally designing this, they wanted to be able to get underwater and and see the fish. And uh, I, I'm I'm also picturing that there was some unfortunate butler whose job it was once a week to go and scrape all those windows. What's interesting to me is how much did it cost then and how much would it have cost to duplicate that today? Because there, as I say, in the reconstruction project to which 600 workmen dug out four lakes and moved minor mountains. Yes. Well, you look at some of the landscaping projects they had over there were just absolutely amazing. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, a plant and a tree and a garden and, you know, they're talking, you know, hundreds and thousands of acres. Uh, but this one, what, what's, I think what surprised me more was not that they built it and that it worked, but that somebody's maintained it enough that it's not, all, it's not flooded right now. Well, that's also, you know, they talked about uh, the death of the original owner, left the rest of the grounds to fall victim to a fire, subsequent disrepair. And then that talked about semi-miraculously, however, the underwater space survived. So yeah. it was more by accident than by design, meaning, or maybe the, the initial design was so good, it worked out and, you know, saved itself. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering, did it flood and somebody's just done some maintenance to get it back and working condition? Because I could see it flooding and then somebody just, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, there's something holding up that statue. Who knows what it is? I don't know. Looking at that one picture of the person's down below, that looks in pretty darn good shape. To, I mean, if it had flooded, I don't think you'd see all the, st- the clearness of it, meaning there's no stains on the walls. Yeah, there's there's just a little bit of rust or corrosion, but that, I mean... That could be condensation. Yeah, and, and in that time, that was most likely iron and not steel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that takes us to our next article. Underwater towns. Love those underwater towns. Oh, man. Now, back in the old days for us, I think the, the biggest underwater town the club went to or members of it was Dale Holler. And, yeah. Uh, that's when they had flooded, you know, obviously a, a town. And if you had got there in the beginning, the houses were still up, things like that. But as it progressed, they, they would rot and they'd collapse. And really, you got a pile of timber down there now. But to get into something when it was brand new or brick or those underwater bridges and stuff that are made out of concrete, that'd be cool. And I'd love to see that. I haven't really seen much as far as structures underwater. So I'm looking forward to seeing something. Plenty of shipwrecks. But uh, the first the first one they list in the article was Smith Island at Chesapeake. Uh, it's three miles long, one mile wide and at sea level. Uh, the graves are topped by heavy stones, so when there's high tide or flooding, the bodies don't wash away at sea. They expect the island to be gone at the end of the century. Uh, they have Sharps Island, uh, about 600-acre size fishing community at the mouth of the Chaptunk River. At one time, it boasted schools, a post office, a popular resort. But between 1850 and 1900, the island lost 80% of its land mass, and by 1960, it was reduced to a shoal. Today, it's entirely 
underwater, marked only by some partially submerged lighthouse. Now, that would be interesting to see a map of the original place. Use that as your, your point of interest. That would mm-hmm. be quite interesting. And you'd have something to navigate from. You know what I mean? You'd have a reference. Yeah. And, th- and this article also has some video, which I, I hadn't gone through and run, but they have an underwater cemetery shown in the video. And then they've got they've always got uh, some listings of the towns that, as reservoirs, uh, were placed there where they flooded on up. So uh, one of them was uh, Lowston, Tennessee. And they have a photograph of it before it being sunk by a lake created from a dam. And you look at the buildings, and again, it's mostly wooden structure that does go to heck in a handbasket. But I do, I just wonder if they move those uh, gas pumps. That'd be interesting to see down there. The old oh. Those are pretty cool. Ooh, yeah. Now you got an idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that'd Probably be a good one. The clo- one of the closest items we had there in uh, South Carolina was uh, what they used to call Bomber's Island. And that's where they used to uh, practice their bombing straight down. And, of course, uh, on occasion, they couldn't pull out of the, the dive. And the bomber would actually crater in near the island. And uh, they actually recovered a B-24 from that. Oh, it's probably going on 20 years, 20, yeah, at least 20 years now. But it was uh, one that didn't crater in. It pancaked in and then sank. But it looked good when they brought it up. Guns and all on board. Not quite, not quite an underwater city, but interesting from the aspect. A lot of artifacts down there. Yeah, that, that'd be absolutely amazing to, to dive on. And then from underwater towns, we're going to go to the best temp job ever. And that is being a diver in a Santa suit. And, and this was, uh, let's see, who was this? Bob Abrams of Cincinnati, Ohio. He was uh, he got to be Santa with the children from a shark tank, the Newport Aquarium, along with his elf, uh, safety elf, I guess is what you would call him. Uh, he was fully dressed, sitting on a magical sleigh with seahorses in the middle of 22 large sharks, stingrays, and other fish. Most of the year, he's the volunteer diver, but, but during the, se- the holiday seasons, they get a little pay, and it was about $20 an hour. In his off time, he's a marketing manager. So I'd do that for $20 an hour, wouldn't you, Mac? Yeah, I was looking at his picture here, and I couldn't tell if that was a full face or a regular mask. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. They don't really show a good shot of it, but uh, either way. I wonder how long he stays down there at a time. Oh, oh, 10 or 12 hours at least. <laughs> <laughs> no no, ba- no bio breaks either. Well, I see he's still got some curl in his mustache, and his, I mean, in his beard and stuff, so can't be too bad down there. From being paid to be Santa on the charity Santa, uh, we covered this story last year, and they have uh, Santa divers in a charity quarry dive in Somerset, England. 161 men and women purged their uh, plunged into Vobster. Vobster. It sounds it sounds like I'm mispronouncing Vobster Quay Quarry Pool near Frome to raise funds for lifeboat charity N uh, R N L I. Uh, Tim Clemens, operation manager for Vobster Quay, says we're very pleased to have beaten the record of 158 dives two years ago. The divers braid temperature as low as 8 point, or 7.8 degrees Celsius. Uh, it was 9.4 at the surface, and 20 minutes they were down, and at depth it was more like 7.8. They hope to raise 10,000 pounds. The money will be used to provide the 35 lifeboat station to southwest of England with some new life jackets. So a worthy cause. But I don't think that's all that cold. I was wondering. I don't remember what 10 degrees centigrade was. I'm sure somebody out there will squawk that for you. Well, the way I look at it is, you know, you figure 32 is, would be zero. Yes. I mean, that's got to be, they got to be in what, mid-40s, I would say, now, our temps. That's almost wetsuit weather. Yeah. Well, 
for us it's all it's always wetsuit weather but yeah yeah not not, not too chilly and they're right i think got all dry suits on yeah they're all dry suits suiters. and they're saying it's cold come on now when you when you do a santa suit is there a santa dry suit is that something that they make I don't know. I can't tell if that's a beard the guy's got on or a big bib. You know, maybe one of those Vikings. That will that will look like a. It's kind of got the right base color. Yeah, it does. Yeah, with the hood though, it's hard to have a big beard like that, isn't it? It would be. Yeah, looks like a bib. But you just you just glue it on your regulator though. <laughs> or a rounder regulator. And then next up, we have trouble with artificial reefs. And it always seems like whenever you have one side, somebody takes the other. Uh, artificial reefs uh, create are uh, in their photo they show are created by deliberately sinking uh, ships and other structures. And there's a study by two American academics which are saying that they're not all they're cracked up to be. Their logic is that the fish population is drawn to the artificial reef and then to be destroyed by fishermen who are drawn to the same place. Do you, do you follow this logic, Mac? I I got this, and I'm just thinking that here are two people who wanted to do a study to do a study. So Well, that so, means you have to make these artificial reefs where nobody but the fish know where they're at. Is, is that the angle you think they're going for? Is that they're going, well, we're going to do the artificial reef, but now, now you can't you can't fish. No. I, I, you know, I was sort of looking at the, uh, the concrete structures, the bottom picture. Man, I find some place got tanks and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be diving there. I'll be I'll be making sure the fishermen are gone because they're going to see our dive flag. They can't be there. We're going to be saving the fish. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they got APCs and tanks, and it's like. Well, and then look at them. Look, they're just shoveling them off the side. Like, oh, here we go. Bloom, bloom, bloom. Yeah, we need to find out where that is. Yeah, you know, and that's that's that front end loader. I wonder if that just kind of went off the side too. <laughs> that that's got to be a pretty beefy loader to push a tank off. Well, if you got it in neutral, maybe it'll, it'll move the treads a little bit. Uh, maybe that's what it's doing. But, yeah, just I, I, I read that article, and I went through it, and them talking about, you know, fishermen fishing and then how it would draw all the fish to the reef and they wouldn't be as strong as they would if they were surviving in nature with nothing. And I, I call BS on this. You know, it's like somebody, it's like there's this capacity that, um, like we see this in Lake Michigan. Where do we see the fish when we go diving? We see them on the wrecks. Right. Why? Because they want shelter. Yeah. I think that if you that the shelter gives them a fighting chance. Well, it's like if you go, like you're saying, you haven't dove many structures, but you got the uh, intake structure in front of uh, St. Joe Waterworks, and then you had that secondary one that's mm-hmm. down from it a quarter mile or so. Yeah. I mean, those are structures, and that people fish, but fish near them, and uh, – I don't see where that's going to, you know, make fish. And they're going to catch all the fish. Therefore, the fish population goes down because of it. I, I don't think so. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's just plain nuts. Uh, I mean, so let's have more reefs. I mean, maybe if you, the argument might be if you only had one and then everything went to the one reef, then everybody knows where to go fishing. But yeah. just uh, it, it make, make more of them. So uh, in the chat room, they're complaining that we don't do bio breaks in the show. So maybe that's what I'll have to do. Uh, we're getting ready for season three coming up here in uh, we're, we're just finishing our, our second season up. So maybe we'll insert some bio breaks in there for everybody to go run. And uh, when you're doing the podcast, everybody can just hit pause. But when you're in live, which we love all our live listeners, great chat room tonight. Uh, hey, I don't have any. I just time my, my exits. Whenever you just start, that's when I get my refills. Yeah. In the the breaths and the pauses. So uh, The guys are really hard up. All they got to do is take one of those milk cartons, guys, and keep it handy. Well, you know what I did tonight is I actually brought my rum and coke down with me 
uh, the bottles, filled the glass up with ice, and then I don't have to go up. Last last Thursday, that got to be about the fifth trip upstairs. I'm thinking, this is nuts. I'm going to have to install a bar in my recording bunker. Well, I think that's what a keg is for, isn't it? To help so you don't have to go back upstairs? <laughs> I, a rum and coke keg? Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, maybe, quick, quick, we need to patent that. Uh, Hard to let, wear on your hat, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You'd have to, you, you get really good neck muscles. <laughs> Military divers uh, on this next one, uh, since we're on the topic of reefs, uh, helping clear undersea tires from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, this is a project that they had started before uh, the, the Gulf War, uh, but now that uh, soldiers are coming back, they're picking up, picking up where they left off. This is one of those, we thought it was a good idea, but it didn't work out. They put down uh, 70, not 72,000 tires. I think it's even more than that. Yeah, it says 72,000. They said they brought up 72,000. So before they went off to war, oh. they got 72,000 up. But there's oh, an estimated two million. Two, million two million tires were dropped into the water to create artificial reefs, undersea structures that would provide habitat for fish. And this is like, when you look at that photo, that's like, oops, <laughs> 36 acres of the ocean floor. And Oops. it looks just like a dump. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, hmm. Uh, and, and we covered this one, uh, I think last year we also had an article on this. And they'd originally tried to tie them together in, like, masses, you know, to kind of create a reef-type structure. But just the storms and everything, and they just kind of came all unbundled, and they're just all over the place. So now they're pulling them up. So uh, they got 72,000. Uh, they're, they're doing it for <clears throat> training and, and to get things cleaned up, so they're going to continue now. Uh, most of the time spent. And 70 feet of water. They don't have a lot of downtime when it's that deep. Nope. And uh, the engineer diver detachment consists of 25 soldiers who have undergone strenuous training, including one course with 80% attrition rates. So these are some hardcore guys cleaning up. 25 guys are going to have a hell of a time getting all those tires up. And then, I won't say our final story, but uh, our close to the end story invasive species in the great lakes and i and i like this one just for the the photos mostly and uh it's earlier not have teeth it's got to have teeth yeah we, i'm glad it doesn't have teeth oh, which one the goby oh the goby oh my gosh if the goby had teeth we'd be in trouble oh man we see those everywhere in yep and they're an invasive species another one was the asian carp and that almost looks that the Asian carp almost looks like it's up its head's upside down to me. Yep. And also there looked like there's a pattern on its back from the top gill down through the middle all the way back to his back fin. Mm-hmm. And another I, one is the the well known zebra mussel. So I thought it was interesting this article is they didn't point out that the quagga is pretty much overtaken to zebra. That's correct. And then the ruffy, they reach sexual maturity in their first year of life and capable of laying ninety thousand eggs per year. They rarely grow larger than five inches in length. And then our favorite for gruesome is the sea lamprey. And those are coming back. I'd give you a heck of a hickey. Yeah, Jeff in the chat room is asking, do uh, zebra mussels spread pretty fast? Uh, so say we put something in the bottom, Mac. How long before zebra mussels start attaching? Well, I put that uh, item in the newsletter uh, about four months ago on the quaggas. Yep. And in seven, in seven years, that lake went from zero to approximately... 10,000 per square meter. Remember so, that, that one article I put? Yep. So they're, they're, they uh, multiply like you would not believe. That report identified that Lake Erie, since it is shallow, doesn't really freeze over, has its bottom completely 
dominated now by the quaggas and is approximately six inches deep, the whole bottom. Yeah. So once they get into an inland lake, Katie barred the door. Yeah. And then another one they're asking in the chat room is Lynch Diver saying, uh, I think it was, oh, no, it was James. Uh, was sea lampreys like in freshwater? They thought they were saltwater. And uh, were those something that got brought in with the uh, salmon? I'm not really sure on that one. I do know that even at the uh, the river that feeds into Pawpaw Lake, for example, mm-hmm. in by the paper mill, they used to have a electric fence. Yeah. What they call that down by the dam to stop the lampreys and their breeding. Yeah. Yeah. So my... they initially saltwater, but they have adapted very well. Yeah. My my grandfather talked about that in the 30s and 40s. They used to do a lot of the electric fence barriers. And the fish could swim through the fence, but the lampreys would get zapped on the side. I, I'm, I was, I always envisioned kind of like a, a fish bug zapper, <laughs> or they kind of like zip, zap them. But I don't know how how it necessarily actually worked. Also, I know that they did a lot of poisoning to uh, clean off the lampreys. So I don't know if they poisoned it enough to that it only affected the lamprey and not the fish. But uh, also, there are times when we probably didn't care if we got everything if we thought we were stopping it all. I've not really seen them in the open water too much. Uh, I have seen them diving in uh, like water plant four bays where you've got a low velocity flow and fish will congregate. I have seen them there and I've actually seen them six and seven foot long. They're huge. Wow. Six or seven feet long. Yeah, now, they eel, are they eel-like then? Yeah, they look like an eel. What we used to do is go find one and their buddy would find one. We'd bring them up to the surface and you'd get two pails and you'd fill them full of water and you'd dosh them down there until they sucked onto the bottom and then you'd see whose lamprey could pull up the most weight oh <laughs> so that, that that's commercial diving uh games is that what that's called well no not not on company time <laughs> <laughs> okay there's a there's a statute of limitations i think isn't there uh, next next one up is benefit for scuba diving for kids or benefit of scuba diving for kids uh and i thought this is an excellent article uh Patty states that children as young as 10 can begin scuba diving. And uh, the study was saying that uh, there are many benefits to children scuba diving. Uh, and some of them were uh, uh, kids who learn to scuba dive uh, quickly link conversation, uh, conversation, conservation and habitat protection, their newfound skills. It helps them with math, physics, natural science, and makes them, lets them become critical thinkers. I, I see that. And in, in, a, in a conservative aspect of pools, one-on-one with a with an adult, I, I can see this, but I really don't see them. There's too many articles out there even now that talk about 16-year-old guys, males, are really not making really good decisions. And I can't really, I don't think I'd feel comfortable with kids. Again, they've got to be limiting how deep they're going. It must be a very controlled atmosphere when they're diving with them. And from that aspect, it probably works very well. Mm-hmm. But I sure couldn't see a kid like that doing any kind of deeper or black water stuff. Oh, oh yeah. I, I don't think they're, they're getting to that. If you look at some of the bubble maker programs and those things, uh, they said one thing you need to do is assess your child's maturity, attention span, reasoning skills, and swimming ability before you get them started. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I know what you're referring to is, you know, the the 16-year-olds doing, you know, 100 feet plus diving that there's some – some reports on some complications when going to that extreme, but I think the pools and the tropics, I think this year for my kids, this is going to be the year for diving for them. I'm going to get both of them started. In a controlled environment, I can agree. I'd be hesitant to 
you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to let them die by themselves or with other kids? Is this with an adult? It'd be interesting to know how they do that outside of the pool they're doing here. And this next one, Explore the Underwater Realm. This is a Kickstarter project. If you're not familiar with Kickstarter, this is where people can get together, form a project, and then they decide how much money they need for the project to go. So what you do is you pledge if you want to participate, and there's usually special benefits for participating early. And if they hit a certain goal, then things will happen. This particular one is an underwater movie. It's a a fantasy film that great amounts of it are underwater. And they're trying to raise $60,000 to help them complete the film. Uh, What they're saying is that the underwater pool time in the UK, they have some great pools that they use for filming, but they just need $60,000 to complete the film, which would be released mid-year. They're at 46,000 now. They have 516 backers. And by joining the Quick Start Project or the uh, the Kickstart Project, you're going to get some special access. Uh, now, the, you haven't had a chance to watch it, Mac, but uh, later on, if you can watch the video, and one of the perks they're saying, if you join the Kickstart Project and you can pledge as little as $10, one of them is that they'll actually show you how to make the LED lights they used in filming underwater. So sounds interesting. Yeah, they, what they do is they have it looks like a fluorescent bank of lights. So there's like little four foot tubes, and it's about five or six of them in this structure, and it casts this glow, which they use probably for indirect side lighting. But I looked at that and I thought, hey, that's a pretty cool thing they came up with. So I'd like to like to see what that one that one is. So that's that's what they're saying is uh, for pledges fifty dollars or more, the LED lighting plaque. Uh, pack good quality soft lights is hard to achieve cheaply and almost impossible to achieve on location they developed a set of rugged low power high output fully submersible similar cinema quality battery powered lights that are giving plans to build and develop the system for yourself so very cool if any of our uh, listeners want to spend the fifty dollars for that and then let us know how that led pack looks i'm all for it yeah i, uh, I think that would be very cool uh, the cameras they're using in this, also, if you're an underwater photography or videographer special, they're using the red cameras, uh, the same ones that uh, were used are being used in in like some of the James Cameron films. Uh, also, the new uh, Hobbit movie is also being filmed on those red cameras. Okay, and now we get into some potentially cool scuba gear. Now, this one, Mac, I made me think of you, which was this kind of boogie board that you get tow behind a boat oh i have one of those tow slides oh is that what it is yeah back in the old days popular science and popular mechanics used to have all sorts of these things yep so they're calling this uh their underwater board towed by a boat the abyss board lets a rider dive ascend and maneuver so yeah back then we used wood a lot of the stuff they're doing now looks to be fiberglass so so mac is we're trolling with a tow fish you just throw a diver on and you could be doing this <laughs> We used to do in the old days is, and you'd see something, you'd drop off, and then you'd mark, put up a marker buoy. Or the other way you did is have a little switch and just a DC line that you could click on and off for red or, or not on the boat saying you saw something. You can make your communications that way. Nowadays, you can have audio. Like, go back the other way, I just saw something. I might have one of the old boards still in the attic, too. <laughs> so, so how did they work? Did you like them? Uh, they worked really well in uh, shallow water yeah. because you got unlimited time. Uh, we'd go. That's how we found junk around some of the lakes and pawpaw. Well, actually, Eagle Lake, 
places like that where I had friends, we just go down there 15 to 20 feet down past the berm. So you didn't have the weeds to, to capture you. Uh, you could cover a lot of territory that way. As long as the boater didn't get carried away. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've my, my brother-in-law, if he's driving the boat, better watch out because uh, he, he loves to torture people on tubes. They had one of those where, uh, I don't know if you, you remember them, they were, they were popular about eight, nine years ago. And they were kind of, looked like an inner tube or an air mattress. And they would pull them behind the boat and it would be a, like an airfoil. And the wing would carry you in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And about a month before they got recalled, he finally got rid of his because he just determined on his own it was too dangerous because he, he had had people behind the boat well over 30 feet in the air. Way too high. Oh, yeah. You get them way too high. And then your instincts of driving a boat, you know, somebody, something happens, is almost exactly mm-hmm. wrong because as soon as you stopped, it lost all momentum and then it just plummeted like a missile. Yeah. And we were talking about Kickstarter. Here's another Kickstarter project, and this one's very, uh, I thought was attractive. A company call, uh, is making a product called Mosin Armor, or actually Mosin Armor is the uh, the company they're using to, to manufacture it. Uh, it was designed by a National Geographic cameraman, and you've probably seen some of the work he's done. He's done stuff on some shows such as Deadliest Catch. And this was a housing he had a friend of his uh, make, uh, to support his iPhone, because many times you need to be able to get someplace quick or you don't have room to have the full large camera housing. And so he had one where it just takes the iPhone, you put it in, and uh, he, they're rating it to 100 feet. But when you watch the video, it says, I can't tell you how far down it's really gone, but uh, it can go well beyond uh, what they're saying it can. So for Kickstarter, you can pre-order one for $399. So... You're gonna get one yourself? Uh, maybe maybe not in the first batch. I would love to have one. I, maybe I'll, we'll have them on the show. See if we can weasel one out or something. But uh, I would love to have one how, to play with. What's that? I wonder how the GoPro comp is comparable. I mean, you got some good shots on that on that phone of yours. Mm-hmm. But for 400 bucks, I can get me a GoPro with a housing, I believe. So I'm just curious. Yeah, you got the GoPro, and then there's that that other one that uh, Bob has. Yeah, Jim just got one too, as I recollect. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, but the nice thing about the iPhone is it's something that you already have. That's true. And then also what we're starting to see uh, is these some of these smartphones coming out as dive computers. So that seems to be a trend. There's a couple companies in different stages of development on using your iPhone as a dive computer. But uh, I've got a new iPhone coming here in a week, and that's got that's the 4S, and that's got that 1080. P video camera. So, I mean, you're not going to get high-end video out of it. You're going to have to do some corrections, color correction, post-editing. But, uh, you know, overall, not bad. Yeah. Uh, and then Jim Schultz in the chat room is saying uh, the new GoPro 2, 11, pe- 11 megapixel for $300. And that's with the case, underwater case? Yeah. And then somebody's pointing out if, you're, if your uh, GoPro floods, you don't lose your phone. Uh, I, I've actually got so many of these phones. I mean, not that I my current one would be one I'd want to give up, but I've got... Uh, Three phones with, with video capabilities currently of the iPhones. So if currently this housing they have is for the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 4S. Well, you, my technology wouldn't work. I'm so old dated. You know, that bag phone, I don't know. I'd have to have a real big uh, case for mine. Yeah, so that's a kick, another example of a Kickstarter project. Now, uh, this last one I thought of just for you, Mac. I know how much you love underwater vehicles. Oh, yeah. DPVs, love them. Yep. And here's one that I would love to have for the dive shop, the dive shop, the uh, dive club. And this one is controlled by a smartphone. 
So I you know, in the in the chat room, they're poo-pooing me for for uh, you know the, the the phone. But now, if you have that housing, how crazy is it that you have an underwater housing that you're able to use with this uh, this dive vehicle? Now now it seems to make a little bit more sense. So you I can do. You do without a cable. No, you've got a cable. This one's cable operated. All right, I'm looking. I didn't say it. Uh, at least I believe it is. Uh, so what you're doing is it's, uh, yeah, I think it has 100 feet of cable, which is probably what their what their depth is based on right now. Operating depth of 75 to 150 feet, depending on the model. Well, that picture they're showing is pretty good. You got some nice width to it and everything. Yeah, well, I, I just looking at the design, it seems to be pretty, I mean, you can, sometimes you look at stuff and you go, how in the world does that work? Which many ROVs, that seems to be how they go. But uh, this one you can see with the thrusters, it, it, it makes sense to how it would maneuver. Yeah. So it works with an iOS or an Android-based smartphone, tablet, or laptop. Uh, it can be remotely operated by tilting the phone or, on the case of a laptop, via the touchpad. It's about, what, $3,000? Yeah, $3,000. You just, you know, chicken feed for that millionaire source that we're going to have, uh, you know, start to donate money for us. I sure as hell wish. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a millionaire and you're looking for something to do with some money, so that we was can help you spend it. Yeah, we, we no doubt there. So the Aquabox HydroView. But you will have fun. Yeah. And then the video of the week. You know, watch this. Uh, I don't. I don't think my dentist is going to recommend this as a new way. I should be having my my teeth cleaned. Okay, I went there, but I don't see it. Yeah. Well, once it once it plays, what you're going to see is you're going to see a diver. And uh, he's actually has, I don't know what type of, of fish it is. I think it might even say in the video. But uh, he, he's actually, a fish is coming up and cleaning his teeth. He pulls a regulator out of his mouth and it cleans his teeth. So, yeah. So that does it for the news. Uh, again, uh, we'll have links in the show notes. You can pick up on the website. It usually takes me about a day or two to get those up there and posted. We're also starting to put our news feeds on Scoop It. So uh, we'll have a link from there, or you can go to Scoop It, which is www.scoopscoop.it forward slash T forward slash Scoob Obsessed, all one word. And that will take you, and it takes all our news articles, puts them into a news format, and then when you click on them, it takes you to the original source. So all the different news organizations that are publishing these articles, you can click them, give them some click love. And then while you're at their sites, when you click on an ad, if that's something that interests you, that always helps them out. Uh, but scoop it. That's something that we're trying out, the way of curating some content. Also, we're on uh, the Google Currents. So if you have a, a smartphone such as an iPhone or an Android or an iPad, you can get Currents. So that does it for the news. So now we'll head on to talk about dives this last week. Not real great diving up here in Michigan the last week or so, at least on the west side of the state. The east side of the state, they've been getting in uh, in the rivers, but we've had so much rain here that the, we're still over flood stage. I think the rivers come, uh, creeks and rivers have come down a little bit, but still quite a bit of mucky and ucky for diving. But we did get a dive in this, this week. We went into Singer Lake. Was it only yesterday? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah, just yesterday we yep. got into Singer Lake. Uh, it was nice. I, it was the first dive I had done since the turkey dive. So you know, it's nice to get all the gear uh, oriented again and get waiting all set up. So uh, you went in just a little before I did. Uh, and, yeah, and, but I, 
I, I think I screwed the visibility because I had 10 feet. And I know when you said you went in, you may have four to one. And that's because you were probably following in my, my tracks. Well, there's a few spots, few times where I got out into some clear, which might have been four to six, you know, a little bit, you know, the, the, you know the, however far the light would peer. But there's a couple times I curved back and our shore support was saying I was getting into your, your trail. But even so, not really a dive, I would say, even with good visibility, which it's better than Singer Lake in the summer. But not really, I mean, that's not really the purpose of, of diving there. I was hoping to see something. I was surprised. I didn't see any sort of fish or wildlife. Uh, it was dead seaweed and algae kind of laying as a blanket on the bottom. Well, I was working on the slope off to the right, and uh, those weeds were not dead. You're, you had six and eight footers very easily. Yeah, they, they were tall, that's for sure. Right. Oh, and so uh, I snuck up a crayfish in there. Now, when you say, to me, they're they're dead, but are they just dormant in the winter? Is that what they're doing? Uh, I'm not real sure on those because there wasn't near as many as there are during the summer. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. They're tall. That was just where I kind of like going, yeah, I don't like messing with a, with a seaweed here. Well, that's why I was in there looking for the bottles because normally I don't get in there because it's too thick and it wasn't as bad, you know, the other day. Yeah. So why don't you tell everybody what, what you were able to pull out? Well, just mostly whiskey bottles, all empty, damn it. <laughs> uh, beer cans, a lot of beer bottles. I found one spot, the guys must have been fishing for a week, but there's small <laughs> little brown bottles, none of them with caps on it. You know how they lose them when they're keeping them cool in that basket. Some of them fall out, didn't find any. But uh, I did find that one milk bottle, which was really nice. Uh, it was from the Jasper Dairy, which is a, a local, if you go down to the DNR launch, it's on Jasper Dairy Road, and there's a DNR launch there. Have no clue. If the dairy is still there, I don't believe it, but uh, the bottle was nice, nice embossed. It looks like uh, 1956 on the bottom of it, uh, sharing yeah. it with that. I put that in my collection already. But, now, did, did you get a picture post in the treasure page for that one? Yes, it is. It's in the treasure page. And it also had pictures of two reindeer, or yeah. two, two, two reindeer <laughs> games. I don't know why I did that. I just came out of the water and said, here you go. It's about all you can do, especially in that muck. That's one of those where that will rip your fins off if you're standing that stuff. Yep. The only comment I had back on that is we should have had red noses. <laughs> and had I thought about it, it would have been an idea. So you got any takers coming up for a dive this next week? Um, I haven't heard yet. I'm hoping Mary Beth can uh, take a day off and we'll get out. I want to get make sure she's appropriately weighted and her BC is working a little better. So I'm prep for the New Year's dive, but uh, if somebody wants to go, give me a shout. Oh, did you uh, did you notice those flags and stuff when you were down? We were down there. Did you notice that? Flags. Yeah, the markers on the uh, entryway. Oh, we saw wooden stake in the in that little. Yes. You mentioned it to me. Yep. Yeah. I... That, that was in the paper yesterday. Oh, was it? Yeah. It, that the lawsuit for that has been going back and forth. One will say, no, it's the guys he wanted. Another will overturn it. Then he goes to and appeals it to a higher one. The claim now is that he owns all of that, not just the one entrance. And you know he, what they're going to do. Well, the road commission has that as a responsibility to resolve this for once and for all. But he wants to trade both of those accesses for something reciprocal somewhere else. Or pay him for it, but trading is what he wants. What, trade him for something else. What would they trade him for? Uh, other property, property somewhere else. Like in another lake? Or he, he's not necessarily lake property he wants. He wants equitable property for what you're going to get. 
So uh, I guess, so people who don't know, I mean, this is incredibly local news, but one of the lakes that we go diving at, the Singer Lake uh, near Baroda, uh, they've got, and the only public access to this lake is a little road, and there's maybe 10 or 15 parking spots, and there's two boat ramps, and these are real shallow. You're not getting big boats in here, just mostly fishing boats. And actually, it's one of those where the, the ramp, I think, is the deepest part of that entrance because it goes from probably being three or four feet into about two feet again with muck. Uh, but anyway, there's been a dispute over these ramps and also the fire department. And that's probably might have been one of the regional reasons for the access there is the fire department has a, a pipe that goes out in the lake. So if they have a fire there, people, you know, the pump trucks can fill up and then they can haul water to wherever the fire is going on. So what's going on is there's been this dispute over who owns it. So, but, uh, you know, so he, does he, is he one of the homeowners next to it? Um, I have the guy's name. Oh, I was going to share it. Say it. <laughs> the club item. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know where he lives. I don't know, but I thought he owned the land to the, to the right hand side of it also. So he, he, I don't know if he owned that house up on the right hand side of us, yeah. but I know he blocked that one access off for a while. Then they had that little debate two years ago, so he took his plot, his block away. But uh, yeah, it, I wish they'd resolve it and, and figure out what we're going to do there or not. Yeah, they just need to fix it. So I mean, at some point in time, you got to think. I mean, somebody didn't go and pay to have that paved and everything done if they didn't think they had rights to it. That's or, correct. Or the person who owned it at that moment in time didn't really enforce the rights, or it was kind of buddy buddy, sure go ahead. You know, but it's always mine. I can take it back, type of thing. But yeah, I'm sure they'll resolve it. Also, with imminent domain, especially if you could get it as a safety item, I would bet that uh, they could just buy it. And I can't True. believe it's I can't believe it's worth all that much anyway. It's not a a prime lake. No, not really. Uh, I like it because it's close. But like I said, it's not prime. A lot of people don't like it. But yeah. hey, it's water. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to get a lot of the mud club divers to go and want to dive that lake. But yeah, I've been uh, some worse ones though. Yeah, I just wish it was a little clearer. It's so convenient. It's probably the closest lake to my house, or second closest. There's a couple others. Have you ever done Hornoka Lake, Mac? I don't believe I have. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do that. I, I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, we know the people who own that lake. Maybe we'll have to go there and see what they, if they'll let us dive it. That one, that one's actually an RV park. So, and that one's man-made. So I don't know what how interesting it'll be to dive. Well, it's still a good lake for ice dives because it's close for us. We don't have to travel a lot. We're familiar with the water. So it's still a good place to get wet. Yeah. Now I heard a rumor Jim Kleeman's off work next week. So maybe we can Shanghai him yeah, and no. get him to do some diving. Uh, how do you mean he's off? I think he's I, playing it. When I talked to him a couple weeks ago, he's planning on taking the week between Christmas and New Year's off. So we'll see if he sticks to it or not. Sounds like a dive time. Yeah. I think he just, with the holidays falling in there, he's not anticipating a lot of business. So let's get some dives in. Well, I do know you guys haven't hit the river down there by the uh, Merrimont Landing. Last year, we were beating that place up. Yeah, I, I, we've done it. Uh, Jim and I did it once so far this year. And we did it way early in the season. We probably did it in September. Yep. And uh, we need to get back into there or anywhere along there. I want to get, I want to get some river diving in. I am so anxious to get back in the river. Haven't left it. <laughs> yeah, you, you haven't. You've been getting it in. So, what would this be a good week to get back in the river? Uh, last time I looked again, it was still pretty ripping out there. That's why I really went back to Singer. I wanted a place that's not going to be hazardous to somebody just playing around. Yeah. They're going to so, be dredging out our uh, our uh, pier area. You know that. 
they got that emergency dredging. Oh, I didn't hear that they got that. So if you were listening the last few weeks, we had talked about the St. Joe River. They were actually closing at the boat traffic, but they got emergency dredging. Yeah, and that's commercial, not boat boat, but commercial traffic. Yeah, because uh, they were they had more than that. One had got stuck, uh, and one got stuck trying to get in. It's supposed to be like 22 feet at the end of the piers, and the last time they measured it was 14 feet something. Yeah, it picked up that much sand already. Uh, oh. So they got a, an extra hundred thousand dollars from someplace. The guy says he can do it in 24 hours of solid dredging, and they're going to try that uh, the first weekend January is what I understand they're going to try to do, weather so, permitting. Yeah, so I was going to say, first week in January, by them getting funding for this and deciding they're going to do it, they're going to guarantee we're going to have a blizzard and it's going to freeze in solid. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, this is only a temporary fix, and that's only for this year. Next year, it's still up in the air. Yeah, well, this is they said where they have to go to get funding. Is this one of those things we need to be calling around and writing? No, it was one of the budgetary items that, well, they don't have money. They don't have money. Oh, yeah, they have an emergency fund that has $100 million in and yeah. that kind of thing. Well, that's what I, I kind of figured. Just a lot of this stuff where they they don't have money, but it they they do. Well, they and also it could be they know that they don't only have enough to do six. They don't have enough to do 20. So they'll wait to figure out which of the, the five or six that are clogged up, and then they'll do those. Kind, well, kind of like the roads in town. <laughs> And the only other reason they got this done, I think, so quickly is that they contacted the shippers and they said, if we dredge it, will you come in? Meaning if you're not going to come back in the rest of the year, we're not going to dredge it. So they expect to get shipments of lime, concrete and salt, as I understand it, at all three of the uh, stop areas. You know where the three concrete silos is? Yep. That's one of them. As you go around into the turn basin, that where the island is itself, where they put the big humps of uh, salt, that's, I think that's called Marina Island. And then the one across back where the commercial boats docked, the diving ones, where that uh, motel was they just tore down, that's the third area that they unload salt at. So it'll be from there all the way out through the, uh, between the tunnels or the, the, the piers and in front of the piers. We've been talking about river diving. Well, the chat room is is in on St. Clair, so I Dave and yeah, I want to go too. Now they're saying they're saying Mac that you're invited, but that Jim and I would be too scared to handle it. No, you guys are crazy too. <laughs> you just stay near the wall and you'd be fine. I give it a go. I like during the summer because it's not that cold. It's very comfortable. The, they, they're they're, they're going to get cold, huh? Yeah, they're going to talk about cold. Now the Superman drive that is great fun, but I think it'd be much more fun in the summer. Is is that one you, you can, well, you can't, how can you dive that one in the summer with the boat traffic? Because you put the flag in where you start and you have one about a mile downstream where you're going to get out and you do not come up. When you go down, you come up at your flag or you come up against the wall. You don't, because the boat's not going to stop for you, buddy. They're not even going to see you. <laughs> you're, you're a mosquito on a windshield. <laughs> Just, yeah, you, that prop won't even know it when it went over you. So they're saying Bill wants to do the uh, Superman drift dive from the bridge area. That is fun. My problem is I, I always, if you do that, don't take your goodie bag because there'd be so much crap out there you want to collect because when they fish, the current's so fast, you got like three pound triangle weights they use. Man, you can pick up some lot of lead out there, let me tell you. So you go in underweighted and you come out overweighted? No, you just carry baskets and we have that lift device that we put down to pull up the weights. Uh-huh. That's what you got to do. Last time we were there, one of the guys found a diamond ring. Diamond ring. 
Yeah, we always go where the kids are jumping off. Uh-huh. Sure as heck, go there, you're going to find stuff. Yeah. In the chat room, they're saying, screw the lead bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Skeletons. Yeah, lead, lead uh, doesn't seem to have that much history to it, but bottles, man. Well, you got trilobites out there. You've got the rocks, the Petoskey stones. There's lots of stuff to play with. Uh, Rich is talking about you can uh, what you can do with the lead. So there's there's plenty of things to do with lead. Yeah, only key item if you're melting it yourself. Uh, some of the old type of lead they used to put in tire weights. Uh, they used to make it with cyanide. So when you do this, make sure you have really good ventilation. Meaning, don't do it in your basement. Definitely have good uh, good ventilation. Oh, okay. Well, that so uh, we'll hopefully get some dives in. Well, I think so. Another good year. Another hopefully good year. Another good, I'll have a good year like I did again yep, next year. So, yep. So I I I went through my I did my twelve for twelve. So that was that was kind of the purpose of yesterday's dive, other than having another dive. I mean, I I love doing a dive, but it gets the pressure off. That first dive of the month always is it's kind of like I hear the clock ticking. I'm well, it reduces afraid. it reduces suit shrinkage. Yes. It really does. Yeah. Oh, and, and you know, and it was, I was afraid it was going to dry out. For about the last and week, that, I had to pour like a cup of water on it a day just to keep it from disintegrating. Yeah, they do have a tendency to want to shrivel. Yep. So I was able. So we were able to get that done. So I've got my twelve for twelve. I think that's two years in a row I've had uh, uh, a dive in every month. That's one of those goals everybody ought to have. Yep. So and then now is also uh, what we'll do. We'll we'll talk about next week is is we'll talk about our dive plans for the year. So that's what you need to be thinking about. You got to thinking about how you're going to be getting your diving in. Uh, if you can't get diving in because you don't have a buddy, time now's time to start building your dive buddy. Sure, cultivating more than one. Yeah. Okay. You got you got anything else before we get to that time of the show? Oh, not right off. I will be putting out a newsletter to everybody who plans on going to the ice dive or a New Year's dive. Um, hopefully the river will moderate so we can use the river down at Whirlpool Basin. If not, we will make it there at uh, Singer Lake. At least it has a light and places to park, and it's sheltered. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, oh, let me see. I, I always, I always feel like I'm forgetting something. Go back through my show notes real quick here, and then after the show, uh, everybody, hang on, and I, I got a few. If, if you've got Skype, we'll have you come on. I got got a quick little project for anybody who's interested in in contributing. Uh, we'll do that, and then also we will be doing a season three, or at least I will be doing. Mac, you're in, you're invited if you want to hang around for another season. Uh, I'm trying I to. I think I might be able to do that. Sort of fun. I'm trying to twist Jim's Jim's arm. So far, we're still tentatively on for Thursday, but we might do something on another night. Also, I'm thinking about adding a few other scuba-related podcasts. So uh, keep a watch in our forum, uh, and then we might be looking. But we we've been talking about doing some. I won't mention them here because I. It seems that I have a habit of being able to say things and I see stuff on other websites comes up. So maybe some of these I'll, I'll have them secret till we got a couple in the can and then we put them out and then we, we get a head start on, on everybody else. Yeah, Jeremy talked to you already? Uh, I talked to him about a week ago and it was supposed to be this week, but he got interrupted in the call and was going to call me back and he didn't. So we'll get something scheduled whenever he's ready. We'll, we'll get him on. Uh, plus, I, I think we were trying to figure out how he was going to get in the program because it didn't sound like he had a computer that could do Skype. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, and and this one is a submission. That, so this is a bad scuba joke. You know who you are responsible. They take all responsibility for, for any bad conditions that happen from the telling of the bad scuba joke. <laughs> 
Do we have any hints who the who the individual may be? I would never mention Tara's name without her permission. So no, okay. I don't have any any idea who who sent us this one. <laughs> there was a bar by a lake used by scuba divers. A man walked in carrying a cardboard box. He put the box in the bar and ordered a drink. It was quiet. The bartender was talking to a fellow. He naturally asked what was in the box. The man didn't answer, but opened the box and took out a miniature grand piano, then a miniature piano stool, and finally a little man less than a foot tall who sat at the piano and started to play the most incredible music you ever heard. He's fantastic, said the barman. Where did you get him? Well, said the customer, I've been diving a lake when I saw this frog swimming in the middle of the lake. At about 15 feet, and looking very tired, I took a hold of the frog and carried him to the surface. The frog seemed very relieved, so I took him to shore. When I put him down, the frog started to talk. He said he really wasn't a frog, but a handsome prince. He was turned into a frog by a wicked fairy, and because he had never learned to swim, he wasn't making a very good job of being a frog. And just as I had saved his life, he was going to grant me a wish. Now, the frog did have some difficulty equalizing when he surfaced. It must have affected his hearing, because I told him my wish, and that's how I got a 10-inch pianist <laughs> so david's going to supply us with the next one then? <laughs> i think he's he's saying that his jokes are better so uh, That's what I, I'm I think the, the challenge is on so until next week go out there and get wet and stay safe can't hear you if you're talking hello mac he's just doing this to give me something to edit out he's on a beer run <laughs> we'll edit that out later this one i will edit out at least half of it hello mac. hello mac i'm back it dropped out on me oh did you drop i yeah i was like what happened i don't know what happened i didn't bring you back in okay so how you doing today mac